And good morning, Calvary, and good morning to our podcast listeners as well. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Good morning, Calvary. And good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We are so glad you're here. A couple of real quick important things to to make sure you understand. Two weeks from today, if you show up here, you will miss the service because the service is going to be Saturday night, the night before, because that day is party at the park. So we're going to be at the amphitheater from three to six with a couple thousand of our closest friends. So we want to pack this room out on Saturday night at 630. We want to hope you'll come, uh, bring your family. It's going to be a normal church service, but we're doing it Saturday night, two weeks from today. Not next week, two weeks from today, right? Second thing, three weeks from today, we start our new service times. And those are going to be at 9 o'clock, which we're hoping some of you would come, to 10 o'clock. Uh, I'm sorry, 1020, which is currently you're all at 10. So some of you will show up right on time. And 1140, all right? And the reason is we put out about 40 more chairs, which is why there's a little space in this room. But when we have about 160, 170 more people a week, which is what we average in the fall compared to the summer, 40 chairs doesn't cover it. And so we really need some people to shift into that um, 9 o'clock hour. We need about 50 of you. If you're willing to do that, that would be great. And there's room, and they will love you. There are great people in there, okay? So we want to do that. And then we have the 1140 service as well. We've been doing a lot of things. Uh, um, We're excited about what God is doing and a lot of great things. We've been going on a journey. The journey starts with you are here. And the idea of this journey is you are where you are, but we want you to be on this journey of life to find Christ. And so the journey starts with God's word. What God says is what we should do. And so we started with the scripture. And then the next week we talked about if you get off the path, you need to confess it and get back on the path. So we talked about the need for accountability and confession. And from there, um, Drew did a great job where he talked about the idea of sometimes you got to pause and fill yourself up. So we talked about fasting and meditation and those kind of things. And then from there, we went on last week where I talked about when you're on this journey and you see the purpose and the point of the journey of being in a relationship with God the rest of your life and you see someone else off. Why wouldn't you go, hey, come back. And so we talked about evangelism. That was all the summary. And this week, you're going to see the little party hat at the end of the journey. And the party hat is a symbolic of the celebration. And the celebration of what life should be like as a follower of Jesus. Now, a spoiler alert, we don't always do this well. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But when I think of celebration, I think of the felt board I found a few weeks ago. So without any further ado, I have my lovely assistant, otherwise known as Brent Jenks, who's going to bring out... That was on the podcast for, uh, you know, just good, good, good. So let's all give Brent a round of applause. I'm going to start this week's story found in Luke 15 with a felt board illustration. Kids, this is called a felt board, okay? This is how they did it before PowerPoint. I'm sorry for those of you on the side. I will do my best to include you in this. But the felt board illustration starts like this. There was a, a young boy who was living at home. And he was living with his father over here. Now, when the boy looked around his house, he realized that his dad, Luke 15, had some money. Okay? And he thought to himself, self, at some point, I'm going to get that money. But I don't want to have to wait till the old man kicks the bucket. I want my portion now. So the young man went to his father. Can you imagine having this conversation? And he said, dad, see all this money? I would like my portion now. The father was like, I don't really want you to have my portion right now. I don't think this is the wise thing to do. But he gave him his portion anyways. And the young boy left the house and went off to a nearby city. 
and he lost all his money, which is a good illustration there. <laughs> While there, he lost all his money. and went that quickly, doing some things that he shouldn't have done. There's kids in the room, so we're not going to explain all those things, okay? And when he was there, he suddenly realized, I need to, to survive. So he got a job taking care of some animals. The animals um, were, I, I had a hard time finding pigs, so I went with the giraffe out of Noah's Ark instead. He took care of the animals. What are y'all laughing at? Y'all have no earthly idea how much money this church has on budgets for things like this, okay? The stuff... While he was cleaning the stuff of the animals, which was unclean and very um, un-Jewish-like to do at the time, he suddenly thought to himself, this stuff stinks, literally, and thought to himself, I should go back to my father, and I should go back to my father and ask to be treated as one of his hired servants. So while on the way back to see his father, his father saw him from a distance, and the father didn't sit there and go, oh good, my son's coming back. No, he ran. And embraced his son. And he said to everyone. That's a monkey. I don't know why that's on here. Um, Let's go kill the fatted calf. And have a party. And everybody rejoiced. Except for. There's a donkey. I don't know why that's here either. The older brother. The older brother sat there and thought to himself. Well y'all are tired of the felt board. So let's go on with the illustration. By reading the scriptures. Learn with me in Luke chapter 15. We're going to read in Luke chapter 15. Thank you, Vancouver. I was very excited about the felt board. Pick it up in verse 22. But the father told the servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he summoned some of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then, the, uh, then he became angry. The brother became angry, didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving for many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you have never given me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your assets, also known as my future assets, right? With prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Listen to what the father said. Son, you have said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now this is a story that Jesus told. And in this story, Jesus uses these words. But we had to celebrate. The Bible is full of story of feasts and celebrations. Of joy. Of moments. But here's what I found. I don't think that the church often understands the discipline of celebration. In fact, 
when I first brought this up to the staff, I had a few people go, is that really a discipline? Well, the book that we got a lot of this from, and if you're going to read one book on spiritual formation, I would encourage it to be this book by Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. So is celebration a part of it? It's in the title. And it's the last chapter of the book. When you celebrate, it shows that you understand the joy that comes from the disciplines of following Jesus. Of what it, it understands what it looks like when you are rejoicing with God. But here's the problem in America. We don't really understand the idea of what discipline of celebration should look like. Why not? And what should it look like? So today I'm going to cover the why, the what, the when, and the how. You note takers are going to love me of the celebration of discipline. And I want to start with a why, but I actually want to start with a why not. Why don't we celebrate like we should? First of all, I don't think we celebrate like we should because we think serving God is serious business. And it is. We treat God like a business instead of a relationship, an obligation instead of a a destination. The brother was mad because he had worked hard and was obedient, and this little reckless guy went out and didn't understand that following God should feel like a job. Anybody? I paid my dues. I will go through and I do all these things and all these other people want to reap the rewards of following Christ without. They don't understand the joy. It's not an obligation when you come to church. It's a joy. It's not an obligation when you give your tithes and your offerings. It should be a joy. It is not an obligation when you serve God. It should be a joy. It is a celebration of what God is doing in our life. The second reason, why not? Why don't we celebrate? Because some faith backgrounds have abused the discipline. And at that point, celebration is not the point. I remember watching a uh, video when I was a kid. It was like a 2020 expose. They showed this church that believed that part of being filled with the Holy Spirit meant you had to be filled with the spirit of laughter. I'm not making this up. I remember watching a lady in a uh, corduroy jean jumpsuit. I don't know why I remember it. I just remember thinking, well, that's an interesting outfit. And I was like six, so I don't really remember much of it. But I remember her coming forward during the invitation time and her rolling around going, (laughs) and I remember thinking, this is really funny, but I don't remember thinking this is really God-like. And sometimes churches go, and they come from an innocent place where we go, hey, you have to be filled with the spirit of joy because following Christ should be happy business. And so you walk into church, and they're all doing all kinds of things. And the Bible says we rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but we mourn with those that mourn. And following Christ isn't always cake and ice cream. Sometimes on the journey, it's, there's thorns and ticks, right? And sometimes we need to understand that the joy should come in the appropriate moments. The third reason we don't celebrate, um, and I think this is the one that hit me the most this week. We think it's unsportsmanlike. What do I mean by that? It's the idea of rubbing our noses in someone else's. Look back in Luke 15, 28 through 30. Then he, the brother, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving for many years. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But then the son of yours came, can you just hear him say that? Who devoured your assets with prostitutes, and you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. How dare you throw a party for him? I want a party too. And sometimes we can feel that pressure, and we can go, I, we can't throw a party for them because we, it's not your birthday. It's his 
We, we should be able to have moments where other people have joyous moments and not feel guilty about it. And, and let me free you from this, right? Right from the beginning. If your neighbor is going through a difficult time, you should weep with them. You should grieve with them. But you should not feel guilty that God is doing some amazing things in your life. It's okay for you to have joy even when those around you are not. Did you get that? And maybe, just maybe, your little bit of joy gives them hope in their misery. So the way this looks is you go up to someone who's going through a difficult time saying, man, I'm really sorry. I'm going to weep with you and I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to walk you through it. But I know my God is going to come through because joy comes in the morning. And we're going to get you to that point where joy comes because God is doing some amazing things in my life and I believe he wants to do them in your life too. Wasn't a great message that sin? And sometimes you just need to understand that when people are going through misery, it's okay for you to still be happy. Y'all don't know if you believe me or not. The other time I would say is it's okay to celebrate. It's okay to have those moments where we think God is doing some amazing things in through the lives of our church. It really is. Here's how this struggle plays out in our church. In the last five years, our church has about tripled, okay? In the last five years, we've seen around 200 people follow in baptism. In our last years, we've seen our budget grow and all these other small groups start and all these wonderful things. And, it, and it's really tempting for us to go, okay, that's great, but don't put it on social media because we don't want anybody to think we're gloating. Don't tell anybody that good things are happening because we don't want anyone to think that we're in the end zone doing our touchdown dance. Let me tell you something. There's one thing to do a touchdown dance for yourself and another thing to do a touchdown dance with your team. One is bad and one is good. Right? So they don't know what touchdown dance is. When you score six points in football, they throw a little celebration party sometimes. And, and I don't think the church needs to be known as the no fun church. I think sometimes we need to realize that joy is a marker that we understand what it means to be disciplined in our faith. Amen? And some of you are like, oh, I don't know about that. We're just getting started. Okay, so what is, uh, why should we have joy? Because without joy, we are robbed. Without celebration, we are robbed of joy. Why should we have celebration? Because without celebration, we are robbed of joy. We've robbed ourselves of joy thinking that it's something we can just turn on and turn off. You can't do that. And you know where we taught this from early on as a child? We are. Think about it like this. I'm a dad, so I can testify from my perspective of being a parent, right? We spend the first two years of our kids, raising our kids to teaching them how to talk and walk, and the next 16 years trying to get them to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> and the reason we want them to sit down and be quiet is daddy's got to pay the bills, I need you to understand that your laughter right now is not the right thing. You are annoying me. And when we do so, we are robbing our children of the innocence of joy and laughter. Your home should be filled with laughter and joy and squeals. And when we suppress that, we're teaching our kids that they shouldn't have joy. We rob ourselves of this joy when this idea that the only way you can have happiness is to succeed. The only way that you can really find joy is to rise up to the next accomplishment, rise up to the next task. And what you're going to find is your kids are going to grow up and they're never going to arrive because they aren't going to know where the destination leads them. It's going to lead them off a cliff. Instead of trying to always find the next carrot on the treadmill of life, 
realize that it's okay for us to sit there and go, we need to celebrate what God is doing in our lives and have laughter and joy in midst of where we are. Doesn't that sound good? Maybe we as the church need to celebrate when God is doing some great things here, giving him the glory, not ourselves, because that's the celebration dance goes bad. Without celebration, we are robbed of joy. But also celebration gives us strength. Joy of the Lord is our strength, as it says in Nehemiah 6.10. Life is hard. It is difficult. And things like cancer and loss of job does show up. Yet it is celebration that will propel us forward. Without it, we have nothing. And let me explain it to you like this. You know, I remember me saying I go to Texas. It's an 18-hour trip. It's a miserable trip. But we've learned to have joy on the trip. You know how we have joy on the trip? The moment we let out, we let out. We don't sit there and go, okay, it's four in the morning. We're going to get there about midnight, 10 o'clock tonight, okay? We're going to rejoice when we get there. No. We set little mile markers along the way, right? And we sit there and go, lunch is coming. Smell that Chick-fil-A now. And as we're about 20 minutes away, I start saying, boys, put on your shoes because the moment this car is in park, you better be in line because we're ordering. And we set the little, we don't sit there and go, we have to wait till we arrive. No, we set little mile markers. And there's another point when we cross the Texas border where we, our family, my wife doesn't participate in this, but the rest of us sing Texas, our Texas, all hail the mighty state. Texas, our Texas, so wonderful, so great, boldest. Y'all don't care about the words of that song. But we get excited because it's a marker because we're that much closer to my mama's house. We're that much closer to my grandkids' nanny's house. The time is coming along the way. And so even though we haven't arrived, that is a joyous moment in our car where we celebrate. We haven't arrived, but we celebrate. We've reached a point along the way. Do you do that? Or do you always wait to arrive? Uh, Celebration gives us strength. This is why the book is called Celebration of Discipline. It's why we call Celebrate Recovery, Celebrate Recovery. Because when you recover from the life that you were in, when the prodigal was recovering, they had to celebrate. Why? Because they were dead and now they're alive. And when we celebrate a baptism, when we celebrate church growth, when we celebrate what God is doing in the lives, when we celebrate anyone taking a step closer in their destination to walking to Christ and do it in a Christ-like centered way that glorifies the name of the Father, everyone wins. Everyone. Celebration gives us strength. But we are bad at it. Can we just say that? Because I don't know about you, I, don't, I haven't always wanted to celebrate. And I don't always fill myself up with joy like I should. So I want to challenge us this next week to really gear ourselves to celebrate discipline of joy. Celebrate. That begins by defining what is celebration. Celebration is to make glad-minded enjoy oneself. I want you to enjoy yourself and your relationship with God. I want you to relate, enjoy yourself. In other words, it's not a list of how far you failed. Even through confession, you are celebrating God's wonderful forgiveness. As you read the Bible, you're celebrating the joy that God has given you the scripture and the meaning of it. As you're going along the way and you're fasting, you're celebrating that God is your source of strength. As you're celebrating, you're telling other people about Christ because it is such a good news. We're celebrating because God is good. The father said, son, we had to celebrate. So then that leads us to this idea that celebration is a natural expression of joy. 
And if we quell that natural expression, we are not only hurting ourselves, but we are hurting those around us. Following Christ should be serious business. Amen. Enjoy. Without one or the other, you're in trouble. Y'all look so serious. This is really kind of a good message. What I would encourage you to understand is this. Celebration leads to strength. So when do we celebrate? I'm glad you asked. We celebrate spontaneously when good things happened. When did they celebrate? When did the father celebrate? He wasn't like, that's a good, beautiful day in March. Let's go kill a fatted calf. No, he celebrated when the son came home. In the moment. What was lost is now found. We gotta, and he didn't just sit there and go, hey guys, we're going we're gonna to plan this celebration three weeks from Friday. No, he's like, we're going to celebrate now. Everybody stop working. I'm, I'm, I'm employing all of you, whether it's a servant or whatever. I, everybody's going to reap the reward. We're going to stop and pause and celebrate this moment. Here's how I'm bad at this. Okay? I'm really, really bad at this. I'm really, really. Here's what we do. We baptized 13 people last week. What's next? Right? What if we just paused and in the moment, we took the moment to celebrate what God is doing, giving him praise and glory and enjoying each other's company. We feasted, we said God is good, and we encouraged each other in those moments. What would that look like? Some of you are type A personalities. You'd raise your hand, but it wasn't planned, so you aren't going to do it now. I am a type, thank you, sir. I appreciate the testimony. I am a type A personality, and my wife has learned through the years that when we go on vacation, she'll say, Daniel, I know you're going to plan everything, but on Tuesday afternoon from noon to four, I want you to plan spontaneity. I'm like, I'm in. And that's the way, I, that's the way spontaneity works in the very household, right? Like, we're going to go on the vacation. Everything's going to be organized. And what, what I'm saying is I'm planning for the moment to be spontaneous from noon to four. In other words, whatever we feel like doing on that day will be spontaneous. The problem is the rest of the trip, I've got to a plan. And if you're the person with the plan, with the backup plan to the backup plan, God loves you and you're great at administration. <laughs> Learn to pause and celebrate when the moment arises. If you're a boss, give your, days, give your staff an unexpected day off when a great thing happens, if you can. If you're a, a parent, take an unexpected vacation. If you're a husband, take an unexpected vacation with your wife. All the women said, Amen. That was very feminine and timid, ladies. We got to get to where we're sitting there going, God is doing something and we're going to celebrate giving him the glory. Spontaneously, when good things happen is when we celebrate, but we also celebrate when a goal has been achieved. The son was lost, but has now been found. The son was lost, but now it's found. That's a pretty good goal. So when a goal has been achieved, sometimes you need to pause and celebrate. What is it in your life that you have done to celebrate? The markers, I already told you, on our journey are the Chick-fil-A, right? And then the Texas sign. What are your markers that you're sitting there going, I may not get there when I, but what's the markers in your life that you're going to set out as a goal to go, I've done Bible reading for a year. Marker. Celebrate. I may even post it. God has taught me amazing things this year through doing the Bible devotion for the last year. I encourage you to do it too. It's changed my life. That's very different than I've done Bible devotions for a year. Everybody think I'm awesome. Markers. Where you sit there and go, okay, I've attended church faithfully every week for 12 weeks. It's changed my life. You should do it too. As opposed to I've done it, check off the box. Set a marker for your life doing that. 
And then finally, this is where we, I really want to camp out. We celebrate when we gain a Christ-like perspective. What's your view of life? You find yourself always angry or frustrated? You find yourself not able to experience the joy? The Bible wants you to have joy. God wants you to have joy. When? Always. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Augustine of Hippo says like this, the Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. It doesn't mean that we don't weep. It doesn't mean we don't have trials. But when we weep, we understand that joy is coming. Because the only two things that can happen tomorrow are the sun's coming up or Christ's coming back. And either one we win. Because we've already been given the keys to the victory. His name is Jesus who died on the cross for you and for me. That anyone has a relationship with him. The destination isn't just an eternal place that we're going to get to. The destination begins here and now. Salvation begins here and now. You have been saved. You were lost. You and I were not just the older brother. We are all the prodigal. In fact, the older brother himself was a prodigal because he was walking through the motions and didn't understand that it's not the walking through the emotions that makes you a follower. It's the fact that you are living in the moment with your father that makes you a son of the king or a daughter of the king. So can we celebrate what God is doing? And if you don't celebrate, here's what I would encourage you to realize, that you're missing out on what God really intends for your life. Not in a name it and claim it way, not in a, I've got a fake happy but the fact that joy comes in the morning. So here's what I would encourage you this week. Go a week without being grumpy. I don't even know if that's possible. Go 12 hours without being grumpy. Set a goal. I don't even know if that's possible. I need to pray for you. Set four hours if you have to. Set a clock in your house where you're not going to say a disparaging negative word to anyone. Find joy. You can do it. And as you do it, what you're going to begin to understand is God's going to begin to shape you and change you into something else. And the journey is going to feel a whole lot less burdensome. In fact, you're going to love it because we aren't going to be staring down at the ground looking at the misery of the journey. You're going to be looking at the grandeur of God's creation and how God has brought us on this destination to experience it fully with Him. The life of the Christian isn't about dying so that we can have joy. It's to have joy now. So here's our Monday morning application. How do we do that? We make celebrating what God is doing as a part of the rhythm of your life. The rhythm of your life. And if you aren't celebrating joy, it's probably because it's not a natural part of the rhythm of your life. So how do we do that? Pause and celebrate when appropriate while giving God praise. Good thing happens, go out for dinner. Give God praise. A good thing happens, celebrate it with your neighbors. Post on social media in a pointing to Christ kind of way. You see what I'm saying? Not in a fake way, but in a pointing to Christ-like way. Second, look at the past as a way to rejoice in his faithfulness. We are robbed of the joy of Christ when we sit there and think tomorrow is going to be miserable, but God has always been faithful in the past. How do we do this? 
through annual celebrations such as Easter and Christmas. Do you realize we celebrate those to remind us of what Jesus has done for us and that we have victory and that God is never going to fail us? Through the bad times that God has brought you through, how he brought you through, look back and see that. Also through unexpected joyous moments, acknowledge it for what it is and sit there for just a moment. And when the party starts to die, get back to work. Don't let the party go for years. Well, maybe so, but still work while you're partying, all right? Third, set measurable spiritual goals for your future because it is the celebration comes, as Foster says, through the discipline. The celebration of discipline requires us to understand what are the goals. We already said, I'm going to set four hours on the clock where I'm not going to say any negative words. I'm going to go three days without telling my husband his jokes are stupid. Amen. I'm going to go a week and not complain about the PTA or going back to school. I'm going to go two weeks where I'm going to devote myself to God's word and let it transform my life. Set a measurable goal. And when you accomplish that goal, rest in the fact that God has brought you through that moment and renew that goal for the future. Fair enough? Fourth, look forward to the future with anticipation. Why? Because nobody wants to go to a church with a bunch of hung, dumb, boring, life is over kind of people. Got news for you. Nobody wants to live in a house for that either. Nobody wants to be a friend with somebody like that. But if you have joy, it's contagious. And people go, what's, what's that about? And you could say, listen, my life has been hard. I, there's been ticks along the path. But Jesus. And I got a joy that comes from the Lord because the father sent his son. The story of the prodigal is how the father rescues us from our own wandering. If you've never done that, I invite you to that today. To realize that God loves you enough to send his son to die on the cross for you. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, then you can be saved. Go by the next step space and let us talk you through that. And if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to leave your burdens and your misery here. Matt Chandler has a saying. You know, let me find it, I want to quote it. Everything in this world is geared to tell you you're unhappy. In other words, every advertisement is trying to tell you that you don't have enough. You need this product to be happy. You need that vacation. The magazine covers are saying you need to look like this to be beautiful. You need to have the, the wife or the, the, the kids or the, you know what happens when you get married, right? What's the first thing that people ask you? When are you going to have kids? We've been married for two hours. And the world will tell you you're not going to be happy. What's next? What's next? What's next? Joy is pausing in the moment and celebrating what you have. If you have a relationship with Jesus, that's the central thing. So pause and rejoice in that. The final little Monday morning application part two I want to throw up there is not mine. I saw it on the internet. Maybe you've seen this on the internet. It's in the kids' book in the back, so your kids are getting this too. A helpful hint this week is to think. Not just with your mouth, but in your heart. Ask yourself, is what I'm thinking true? That God's going to ban me? That's not true. Call it out as a lie. That life is miserable? It's not true. Call it out as a lie. That there's no hope? It's not true. Call it as a lie. Resonate on the truth of Christ, which comes by reading the scripture. Hint, hint. Ask yourself, is what I'm about to say helpful? Sometimes you got to correct people. That's helpful. But you got to do it in a loving way. 
If you're not being helpful, then it's about you. And don't say it. Is it inspirational? Will it help us as a family? Will it help us as a church? Will it help my coworkers? Will it inspire someone to be a better human being in the following of journey of Christ? Is it necessary? Some hard things are necessary, but a whole lot of negative things aren't. And maybe you just need to move on and not say it. And is it kind? I don't know about you, but I think if we think a little more, the joy of the Lord will begin to resonate out of this church a whole lot more. And I'm going to be begging people to come to the whatever other service we have to add because people are going to want to know where the joy comes from. It's not about you, but when you give yourself away, you find the joy. When you recognize what the Father has done for you, you'll find your joy. It's a church. You ready to find joy? Are you ready to find peace? I, I, I didn't do this in the last service, but I want to do this now. Uh, if you don't want to participate, I understand. I'm, a, I'm the guy who hates the participation. So if, I'm going to, in fact, everybody close your eyes. And I wonder if we could just say this phrase right now, out loud, in a minute. Not right now. I'll give us a very clear when to say it. God wants us to have joy. I think we don't really believe that, but I hope that we do. So can we say that? God wants us to have joy. Ready? One, two, three. God wants us to have joy. Now I want you to take it to the next level, and I want you to say, God wants me to have joy. One, two, three. God wants me to have joy. Not money. If you have money, great. But you may not need it. But God does want you to have joy, because I wouldn't say it unless it was 100% true. So leave here today with joy. Leave here with the troubles and the anxiety and the fears dissipating at the foot of the cross. And let it be, Jesus. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the midst of our church. Teach us to discipline ourselves to joy. What a wonderful discipline where we get to laugh together. Where we get to, to sing together. We get to declare how holy and awesome and mighty you are. God, may our families be filled with joy. May our, our houses be filled with joy. May our work be filled with joy because of what you're doing through our lives. God, we pray against the perversion of this discipline. We pray against people who want to take it to a different direction. But God, we ultimately hope that we find our hope resting in the power of who you are and what you did on the cross. God, may we proclaim to the world how good you are, that we were the prodigals, but we have been saved. And whatever the future has, we have you so we cannot be robbed of the presence of you. Therefore, we will declare we have joy. And let it be about you. So God, with every fiber of our being, we pray this prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. We pray that the words out of our mouth would point saying, let it be Jesus.